Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. With more than half a million infections, the World Health Organization is warning that the threat of COVID-19 overwhelming Africa's healthcare systems is escalating. The countries in the Africa region are not where they had predicted that they would be by now. We've seen very strong reaction in places like South Africa, Ghana, acting much more proactively than much of Europe. Countries in Africa so far have escaped the worst of the novel coronavirus pandemic. But as the virus spreads and as countries are reopening, experts are worried that will change. There are now more than 600,000 cases of COVID-19 across the continent, most of them concentrated in a few hotspots, South Africa, Egypt, Nigeria. In fact, South Africa alone accounts for about half of the continent's infections. I love Africa. Africa is a beautiful, diverse continent. They have more than a billion people living there in 54 countries. Africa is also no stranger to infectious diseases. I went to the region several times for reporting on them. I covered the Ebola outbreak in Guinea in 2014. A year later, I was in Nigeria, covering the fight to end the spread of polio with my friend and CNN international correspondent, David McKenzie. David is based in Johannesburg, South Africa, And today, I decided to sit down and talk to him about how countries in Africa are now handling the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. So I wonder if we can just start by getting the big picture. Um, What is the COVID situation like in different countries in Africa right now? You know, Africa was hit on average much later than some of the the early key hotspots like Europe, like North America, even uh, Latin America. And because of that, there was a bit of time and also a lot of political will. Leaders shut down economies, they locked down the population much earlier relative to the US, to Europe. And that me- meant you had sort of weeks, five weeks at least in South Africa's case, of a very strict lockdown. That flattened the curve in many countries. We're now kind of hitting the surge, particularly here in South Africa, where I am right now, you're getting to the peak of the pandemic uh, of the next few weeks. Uh, But just a handful of countries are driving that accelerated rate of transmission, according to the WHO. In other countries, you're seeing a more steady rate of increase, or you don't really get a clear picture at all because of a lack of testing. When countries started to talk about lockdowns, did it feel like it was aggressive, that it was the right action at the right time, both from your perspective as well as the citizens on the ground? There has been very little resistance, certainly in the early days of the lockdown, the early weeks. I mean, there was some grumbling across the continent because the the virus hit a bit later here. 
People saw those horrific images from Italy. They saw what was happening in China. And so there was that fear about the pandemic from the population before it in fact hit. Now, one really important factor, though, Sanjay, as you know from reporting on the continent, is that self-isolating and social distancing is a privilege. In many of the, uh, the slums and townships across Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, it's just not possible to do this. If you go into some of these areas, 5, 10, 15 people living in informal housing in close proximity. So while the lockdown did have an effect, it was limited in that just the geography of the continent and the the urban landscape makes it almost impossible for people to really, really isolate. Yeah, no, it's a really it's a really good point. I mean, we talk about the six feet of distancing here in North America. The World Health Organization says at least one meter, but in many places around the world, it it, it is just not possible. I wonder if you can talk about the new restrictions that have been implemented in the country, including the second liquor ban. How has that helped curb the spread of the virus? Well, certainly the first uh, alcohol liquor ban here in South Africa, I mean, uh, I have to say we had one of the strictest lockdowns that I've uh, seen across the world. Five weeks of it, no alcohol, very limited movement outside except for essential goods, masks, mandatory. Now uh, it's actually, in fact, illegal to not wear a mask and it's enforced by uh, the, um, at the employment or the public space level. So if your employer in South Africa... Uh, doesn't enforce a mask rule in your building, then that employer could face a jail time. The alcohol ban is an interesting one. You know, I've spoken to several emergency room doctors who said that the, the week they banned alcohol, they just saw the level of intake at ERs plummet in South Africa from, you know, road accidents, uh, fights, uh, gang-related uh, issues. Everything just kind of improved. There was a lot of grumbling and actually pineapple beer became something very popular in South Africa, homemade pineapple beer. Uh, and uh, But, you know, they lifted it. And now when we actually get into the surge, they've recently reinstated it. And what is interesting, I haven't seen that much complaining about it. I think people realize is that if they're going to have a scenario that the emergency room beds are under strain at the moment, uh, they will give up that glass of wine uh, for a few weeks. There is always this, this sort of uh, this tension between public health and, and the economy. Uh, it's, it's driven a lot of the discussion, as you know, David, here in the United States. What is the mood like, I guess, among the average citizens? On the overall side, the World Bank sees the African or sub-Saharan Africa hitting its first major recession in a quarter century, though uh, it's a complicated picture. In large part of uh, the continent, many people are in the informal sector, $2, $3, $10 a day, making just enough to survive. Uh, if there's a lockdown, those people completely fall off the cliff. However, when the lockdown eases, it's easier for many of them to start up again. So there's this kind of dichotomy that uh, in some of these informal economies can bounce back, according to the World Bank, easier than in other places. That's really interesting. You know, when we covered Ebola, David, it it was striking that you're dealing with, at that point, with a pathogen that is not very contagious, but is highly infectious. And that means that it's not likely to spread easily, but even a small amount could cause an infection in somebody else. When you're touring around a field hospital over there, were you, were you worried about your own, 
your own health, uh, the idea that you might contract the virus? Ebola was a, a slightly different psychology to it because we do know how it's contracted and that it is more dangerous to contract. Uh, and the difficulty with COVID is it's just so much less you know about it. You know, I think the, the narrative, David, as you know, early on, experts all over the world were essentially predicting a crisis on the continent of Africa. Uh, Melinda Gates, in an interview with CNN, she said back in April, she said that there would be bodies on the streets. But it does seem that as a whole, Africa seems to have escaped the worst of the pandemic so far. South Africa, which has the most cases in the continent, has a near equivalent number of cases uh, to the state of Florida, a single state, even though they have double the population. Why, why is that now? I think it's a fascinating and important question. Sometimes people uh, paint the continent with a broad stroke. And I think even experts in the early days of this might have fallen into that trap. I think another thing here is that it's understandable that people perhaps thought there might be a catastrophe given the level of health infrastructure in the continent. You know, right. 43 countries in Africa have 5,000 ICU beds. That doesn't include South Africa. Now, it's a number of factors. One is that the virus hit later and there were those early lockdowns. And so that had an impact. But it's also the nature of the population in Africa. 70% of the people are under 30 years old. And if you look at the nature of this virus, if you've been reporting for months, Sanjay, you know, generally it affects elderly people worse and the death rates are higher in those groups of people. And they also say there are fewer of the comorbidities like diabetes, uh, hypertension, uh, uh, cardiac issues on average in the African continent. What this scientist called uh, diseases of affluence. In Africa, diseases of poverty are a bigger issue. Uh, and there was also a greater worry that HIV AIDS would have a real impact on uh, the danger of this virus. And at this stage, they just haven't seen that yet. I, I know that in the sort of in the beginning slash middle of, of this most recent wave of the COVID-19 pandemic, the World Health Organization also declared the end of the 10th Ebola crisis in, in DRC. There's been a lot that's been learned, right, from, from handling these other infectious diseases such as Ebola. Has that been part of the, the success story here as well? I think so. And that threat of Ebola, yellow fever, measles has all had an impact on the way that public health officials deal with COVID-19. Uh, you know, while there was still discussion going on in other parts of the world in terms of monitoring people as they arrive in the country from overseas, you already had it in place. I mean, you had te temperature checks, you had uh, health surveys because of the Ebola outbreak. And, you know, tragically, some health professionals died in that, in that fight, but they really tapped it down through contact tracing, testing, and the existing facilities. So it's there. How is the testing on a, on a practical level for you. So I, I could tell you from, from my experience, my wife and daughters uh, needed to get tested. It took several hours and then it took several days to get the test results back. Uh, I was surprised. This is just a, a couple of weeks ago. What about there for you? If you wanted to go get tested today, for example, how, how challenging would it be for you? 
Well, it's relatively easy. I've had to be tested as well because I was in contact with a known case. Uh, you know, it was literally driving up to a place, walking out, getting a swab, then you're done. And I got the result in less than 48 hours. I mean, one of the big ways that South Africa has managed to deal with it, it has a huge health infrastructure related to HIV AIDS. The pandemic here, which is ongoing of HIV, uh, is something that has built up a massive amount of community health workers that go into the, uh, into the suburbs. They can get tested for HIV, and they've done the same with COVID-19. Let me just ask you about a couple of countries in particular. Uganda, what do you think the world can learn from Uganda. Is is that a success story to hold up? My understanding is that they have had zero deaths. Well, the president of Uganda, Yuri Museveni, r- rules with a pretty iron fist at times. What he did was stop all incoming foreign travel, stop all travel in and out of the country from its neighboring uh, countries. He only allowed uh, the sort of the movement of goods in. They wouldn't allow people even to drive around in the capital city, Kampala. I have friends living in Kampala, and they literally had to walk to the grocery store, uh, even if it was two, three miles away, because there was no movement allowed for a significant amount of time. Uh, There was a real strict lockdown and, uh, you know, to the detriment, some say, of human rights in the country, including uh, targeting uh, LGBT communities. And so there's a flip side to every success story, unfortunately. You, do you see light at the end of the tunnel? You know, I think I take a lot of solace from the medical doctors and nurses I've spoken to. They feel a sense of elation every time someone walks out of there and recovers. And despite the levels of death uh, and infection and confirmed cases, you look also at those numbers of people recovering from this, even if that recovery might take some time. And you know that, you know, there is some hope here. I guess on a personal level, you, you know, you hope to... Take an airplane again. You hope to cover a story that is not COVID-19 again. You hope, uh, you know, to take your child to school and have them not be an advisor. And, you know, everything's come home in a very personal way for all of us. You know, I think it's uh, it's been sometimes tough in a story like this to really get a sense of, you know, what things are like uh, truly on the ground there. So I really appreciate it. And I do hope to see you in person sometime. I don't know when that will be, but hopefully sometime soon. Well, thanks, Sanjay. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. Even though experts were bracing for the worst when this pandemic hit the African continent, things haven't turned out that way. And it's because people took the virus seriously. Countries went into strict lockdown early on. They prepared field hospitals and contact tracing. And people cooperated. I want to leave you here with these words from Dr. Claire Keane, a medical coordinator for Doctors Without Borders, who manages one of South Africa's COVID-19 field hospitals. This is a marathon, and I think people need to get a reality check and accept that this is here and that it's not going to go away anytime soon. We've used the time well, but we were always going to question ourselves, did we use it enough? And every death is heavy on the healthcare workers that fought to save that person's life. It's sobering now to realize that the epidemic in Florida, one state in the United States, could be comparable to the situation in the entire country of South Africa. 
basic public health measures do go a long way with this virus, and we would all benefit from implementing them. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.